good to be with you again this morning. On your screen is the title of the series that we're working on. And this morning we're back in uh, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, as Chris mentioned, there is a lot here. And we will look at that for a while and uh, learn from this chapter before we move on and talk about some of the other wonderful things in Genesis. Uh, Last week we opened uh, the book of Genesis and talked about our creative God and how he created order out of chaos and that he continues to do that in and through Jesus in our own lives as we turn to him. Today I want to, I don't know, we use this expression sometimes, get in the, the helicopter as it were and get up a little higher and get an overview of things as it were. Sort of that 30,000 you know, foot view. And uh, I pray uh, what will happen today is it will leave us uh, in awe and uh, wonder, God of wonders like we just sang, and that will be encouraged. That's the word that has just been coming to me all week as I've been studying. It's my goal today to leave you encouraged. I don't intend uh, necessarily to leave you with, you know, three perfect points of theological clarity that will, you know, you'll walk away and go, I need to do A, B, C, and D. You know, and, and that's appropriate sometimes. But this morning, I want you to walk away feeling encouraged with an attitude of worship. Let me share a story. My, my dad uh, um, was a carpenter, and uh, I remember that early on in our marriage, uh, my wife had this beautiful painting and she wanted it framed. And so knowing that my dad had the tools and, you know, the equipment that I would need to make a frame, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I can do this. So uh, and it was quite large, and, and to get it framed would have been, you know, professionally would have been quite expensive. And so I went about doing this. So from a, a raw piece of oak, I cut, I planed, I fit, I routered, I shaped, I glued, I, I aligned, I did all the things that I was supposed to do, and I made a pretty decent frame for this, this print, for this painting. Something happened, though, right near, I was getting close to the end, and I made a terrible mistake. I would call it a, a rookie mistake. I won't tell you exactly what I did, because it's kind of embarrassing, but I made a wrong cut. And uh, as I sat there, uncertain of what to do, my dad came along and said the classic thing that you say when you're talking about carpentry. He said, did you measure twice and cut once? <laughs> And I said, you know, thanks, Dad, that's special. But anyway, so I had to fix it. I had to, you know, put a piece, add a piece, fit in a patch, so to speak, and some more gluing and sanding and shaping and all of those kinds of things. And after all that extra work and the staining and, and the, you know, the, the sanding, and it looked pretty good. I, th- I thought it turned out pretty good. And, and it's still holding together. It's in storage somewhere in Canada, but it's still holding together. And if you would have walked by and had a look at it yourself, you probably would have said, hey, that, that looks pretty good. Well done. And, uh, and I, I thought it looked good myself, even, you know, with the, you know, sometimes the one who creates is the, is the, is the worst critic, but I thought it didn't look too bad. But I always knew that there was one little thing that wasn't perfect, you know. There was one part of it that should have been a little bit better, and like me, it was not perfect in any way, shape, or form. As we survey Genesis chapter 1, we find, you know, what I would call a situation or or an occurrence, an event that happens six times. Six times, and it correlates with the six days of creation that make up chapter 1. And of course, on the seventh day is Sabbath, and God rested from all his work. And the sixth day is the culmination where he creates man in his own image. But six times it says 
and God said. So the word of God speak, as it were, as the song says, followed up just a bit later with, and it was good, and it was good. And after that sixth day of creation, when, of course, we are made in God's image, it says he surveyed it all and said it was very good, very good. I took a seminary class once, uh, one of those um, classes I had to take to sort of make up the requirements for, for, the, the, you know, for the degree that I was enrolled in. I had to take this general education class. It was a business class, not my first choice. But I remember sitting in that class and the professor was teaching us about systems and of evaluation and control and workflow and efficiency or something boring like that. And, and, uh, and he made the comment, and this was the comment, even God evaluated his work. And he pointed to this section of Genesis where God looks at his work and says, it is good. And as I listened to him share this, I became a bit uncomfortable with his line of thought. And so I, I pushed back a little bit and I said, I, this is what I said, I don't think what you're suggesting is accurate. To suggest that God evaluates his work is to suggest that God could do something that is less than perfect. That somehow in looking at what he created, he might see something that is not as perfect as the rest of his creation. I said, I don't think that that idea is theologically cogent or rational. That did not go over very well. <laughs> but I still think my thought that day is accurate. This is not an evaluation on behalf of God, by God. I think rather it is an observation, an acknowledgement of it being pleasing in its perfection. I think that's a more accurate description. It is not God looking at something he just made and acknowledging a good enough dynamic that although there are a few mistakes here and there, perhaps something, you know, he can, you know, touch up a little bit later, as it were, cover over so no one would notice, so that the casual observer would look and say, hey, nice job, looks good to me. No, this is God's acknowledgement of the perfection of creation, system and design that fits together and works perfectly the exact dimensions, angles, and alignment needed to keep the stars in the skies, the planets from colliding, the earth from overheating, if you will. What the plants and the trees, you know, all of them growing together to sustain life, for the, give the perfect level of oxygen, how that all works together. The right, you know, the right level of each element in, in our soils and all of those kinds of things, everything, absolute perfection. Nothing left to chance. Nothing. When God says it is good, it is because it came from God, so therefore it, by default, must therefore be good. That's what this is. This is not an evaluation. And Scripture tells us this, Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. That's what this is. So when God says it is good, again, it's not an evaluation, rather it's a statement of fact. Incontrovertible truth that regardless of the process that God used or employed or created, however you want to look at it, to establish it all, it is an observational fact 
That perfection existed at the start. That's what this is. Now, if you've read Genesis at all, you know that all that changes in just a few chapters over when we fell into disobedience and the destruction, if you will, of that perfection began to invade the created order to create and unleash, you know, what Romans calls the groaning that creation is under, the decay that takes place both physically, spiritually, emotionally, the world around us and everything in it. But let's not go there just yet. We could, but I don't want us to go there just yet because there are some essential truths, I think, that for us that we need to land on, things we need to acknowledge about what this goodness means and can mean and should mean, what we should understand, what it should mean to us. Let's, let's try this. Let's actually go back, you know, kind of in your mind's eye or your imagination just for a moment to what it may or must have been like right there, you know, day eight. What would that have been like? Now, to be honest, you know, TBH, it's not, it's not really all that easy to do because I, I don't know exactly how to imagine those things. It might kind of be like a, a fish trying to describe breathing air. It's not my experience. Or, or a fish swimming on the beach or flying through the air like a bird. It's not really his regular frame of reference. And it's not ours either because we live here and it's not perfection. But it must have meant likely all of nature in order. What about for the animal kingdom, you know? No animosity? I, I don't know. Would we have worked, you know, the physical work of our hands in alignment with it all as well? And would that mean that it would be entirely pleasing to work in the garden, as it were? Not toilsome. I, I just can't, you know, imagine what that would have been like. It's hard to wrap our little wee brains around. Think about all the, you know, the non-existence, if you will, of, of health and physical ailments. No cancer, no type 2 diabetes like I have. Perfect physical and mental health for all. Like, just, just imagine that reality, what that would have been like. No struggle with fitting in, no issues of self-esteem or self-worth, not, or, or even the struggle to be self-aware and, and act, you know, in, in a way that would be appropriate in all situations. I just, I can't imagine what this would mean for our relationships. And then take all of that and overlay it over all the relational dynamics that we struggle with and in. Lay it over your friendships, your relationships at work. Lay it over, you know, the reality of living in a family with brothers and sisters. Lay it over the relational dynamics as parents with children. Imagine what marriage would be like in that state. Just let that settle. All the things that go on in your relational world and just lay perfection over top of it. And then step back and agree with God. Wow. Good and perfect. Must have been like when again, Apostle John in Revelation says this, he will Wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Again, that is, however, not the way things are now. 
It is, the, it is the way things will be one day again. And with God's help, we can work towards that now. That's part of the promise. Some have framed the gospel story uh, in terms of, you know, four stages. And I think it's helpful. You know, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. One through four, if you will. Four stages of the gospel story. And, and we kind of live in, in, in kind of an in-between, like, two and three uh, reality here and now. You know, fallen and in need of redemption. And, and some of us have reached out to Jesus and, and, and experienced that, you know, that forgiveness and salvation. And so we're sort of in that, you know, waiting stage for complete restoration as promised. But here is the good news. We may live in that reality but it is not how we were created, right? Not how we were designed, and I love this phrase, intrinsically imagined in the mind of God. Before he spoke us and all that is around us into existence. That's not how he saw us. And the good news goes even further. There is a stage there. We ru- three, we run to Jesus, like I just said, and we're redeemed. And we live in the real hope that stage four, complete restoration back to perfection the way it was, is yet to be fulfilled. And we work towards this regardless with God's help. We are not there yet. This should produce, though, in us patience and humility as we understand that others around us are working on that, too. It's not all about us. There is more yet to come. Listen to to more from Revelation chapter 21. I read the first part of this before. I'll read the rest of it because it's just fantastic. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. Can you, I'll stop for a minute, but can you just like wrap your head around seeing this? Like John having this vision? Man. And it says, he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. He, was, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, John. What you see, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If you're going to read and study uh, the early chapters in Genesis, you need to read Revelation along with it because it is the promise and the hope of the future. If you stop the chapter 3 in Genesis, it's tough news. There's more to come. Amazing goodness, original goodness that was declared by God in the beginning, there at the end in all of its, you know, first promise, if you will, fulfilled for eternity. That's what we're headed for. That's then, but what about now again? Well, here's the thing about now. God is still good, and good things still come from God each and every day, each and every day. The danger, you know, as we're reflecting on this week, I think there's a danger in framing things this way, talking about living, you know, in this not-quite-there-yet reality, fallen and in need of redemption while we wait for this promise. 
is that we could miss the goodness in the here and now. And we shouldn't miss it because this is where the encouragement comes from. It's no way to live. What ends up happening is that instead of seeing the good and worshiping God, who is still good and still doing good things, is that we end up potentially wallowing in, in the negative, the broken, the beat down, the succumbing to that which is broken and fallen, potentially. It's kind of, remember Eeyore from the, you know, remember him? It's just another rainy day. It's kind of like that. Oh, I'm just trudging along. and It is what it is. Jesus will come back soon. You know, I'm suffering for Jesus, but one day, you know, then all of this will be gone. But for now, well, you know, we're obedient. What kind of existence is that? It's like only singing. You know, here's a couple of old songs for some of you. Remember, The King is Coming? <laughs> or here's another old one, Beulah Land. These two songs both talk about the future and what's coming. It's just singing those songs without throwing in, you know, something like Good, Good Father. You're so good. To remind us of what we have now. Even though indeed all creation is groaning and awaiting the day of new creation, creation is also as we've sung already this morning, extolling the beauty of God around us. And we, the ones created in his image, still have the capacity to reflect his goodness. And if you look around, you will see it. And redemption, to be, to be lifted out of the mire, the muck, the brokenness, the sinful awfulness of our world, is all possible in and through the personification of God's eternal goodness. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you needed any reason to doubt the goodness of God, just look to Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Not later. We know from the words of Christ that when he spoke of these kinds of things, he meant eternal life to the fullest. That is life now, not later. Not just there, it's here too. Eternity has no beginning and end. If I asked you, when does eternity start? guess it's already started, hasn't it? When does it end? I, I guess by definition, never. Life. So when we read that God looked at all he created and saw that it was good, again, it's, it's an acknowledgement of his character reflected in creation, not an evaluation of something that is the potential to be less than perfect. And you and I are a part of this, his good creation in fact, on day six, I mentioned this already, after he created man in his image, he makes this declaration that takes it to a bit of another level. It is very good. Let your mind settle on that when it, you know, when it would rather or more naturally move towards brokenness and pain. Settle on that thought. No more sorrow, no more sin, anger. Those things exist, but there's still goodness, and God is good and wants to do and give good things. We are created in his image, and he has declared his creation very good. Let me, I want to close with something now that I read that sort of pulls all this together. I read this this week, and I think it just frames it so well, and, and I want to share it with you. And again, I want you to walk away this morning with encouragement and maybe just a little bit of wow for how good God is. Let me read. God is good. He will not act in any manner inconsistent with his character. He is light and life and love, and he is Lord. 
All his works are done in righteousness, justice, grace, and truth. At the cross, his love triumphed over hatred, and his goodness defeated the evil. Even now, he is working to bring all things into conformity to his will and preparing a place for us to dwell with him forever in righteousness. His goodness is poured out on us abundantly day by day. Psalm 33, 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Psalm 118, verse 29, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let's pray.